The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care. With guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome. As a caregiver, you don't have a lot of time to listen to multiple sources for all the information that you need for all the people of various ages for which you care. So Quote Between Generations is designed to be your one-stop shop. For instance, today we're going to be discussing managing diabetes, and we'll be discussing it in children through adults. We'll be talking about handling infants to tips for helping children in school and social situations to power struggles with teenagers and to handling diabetes at work or while traveling as an adult. We begin with Jean Betchart-Roma, who was a master's level nurse and until recently was a pediatric nurse practitioner and diabetes educator at Children's Hospital and University of Pittsburgh um, Medical Center. I know UPMMC actually really well because my husband did his uh, cardiology fellowship there and I loved Pittsburgh. Jean is the author of Diabetes Care for Babies, Toddlers, and Preschoolers, and also a guide to raising a child with diabetes. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, Jean. Thank you. Nice to be with so, you. So, Jean, how do you explain to a young child, you know, what's going on in their bodies and why they, you need to be taking their blood sugars and why you may be needing to give them insulin. I mean, they're very young. They don't understand. So, so how do you explain it to them? Well, that, that's one of the hardest things to help a child understand is why they have to do it and other kids, other people, other family members don't. But um, many of them eventually will just grow, to learn to accept that it's, we have to do it to keep them healthy. So try and, and frame it positively rather than negatively because you have to have this because you're sick. Um, the answer should always be this is going to keep you healthy and this is what we have to do to make that happen, just like we have to brush our teeth to keep your your teeth healthy. So, uh, you know, that doesn't always fly real well, especially in the beginning, and they, they're not accustomed to taking injections and things, but, um, but you know, it, it takes a little time, but they eventually get used to that. Great. So on a previous show, we had um, Allison 
Carmen, who's the author of The Gift of Maybe. And she was talking about her personal experience in dealing with the fact that her daughter um, may have had a very, very serious uh, GI disorder and her reaction to that. I mean, the parents that you deal with must feel initially devastated and overwhelmed when they discover that their child has diabetes, especially if it's a baby. I mean, what do you tell these parents? What advice do you give them? Well, that, you know, from the beginning, there's a huge loss, and they're grieving, and it's totally understandable. And all that we can say is we understand this is really rough, but you can get through it. There will be a new normal. It won't be the old normal that you had and that your child can live a healthy, long, happy life and have diabetes. Um, and, and it takes a long time for parents to, to get past that. Um, so there, you know, there are, there's a lot of support that's needed, especially you know, after diagnosis. And, and it depends on the age of the child, too. So, um, you know, but it's never, it's never um, a relief uh, to know that your child's going to have to live with this di- diagnosis for the rest of their life, at least as far as we know it today. So you would advise, for instance, grandparents um, to just be supportive and, and encourage them to get great medical advice and um, maybe join a support group and, and that their child will be okay. Very much so, yes, and that they're not going to be perfect at this. You know, parents start out um, scared and they are trying to do everything exactly right and there's too many aspects of, of the treatment of diabetes, especially in a young child, and uh, that, you know, that they're not going to be perfect at it. And they need to understand that in the beginning. And uh, we encourage them to learn as much as they possibly can about the diagnosis and uh, why they're doing what they're doing and how it works and how it fits together. And, and, and so that if they're going to... You know, if they're going to have a little latitude here and there in their perfection, they know how to do it wisely. You know, Jean, I think that's a really good point because I think that, I think you've hit on really what the issue is to some extent. I mean, when I, when my own mother had a very dense stroke and I brought her home, um, she had a feeding tube in, for instance, and I'm a psychologist. I wasn't used to dealing with things like feeding tubes. I was scared to death that if I did one little thing wrong, you know, I was going to kill her, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's scary because I think that's what those of us who are not nurses or nurse practitioners or physicians think, that if we're not 100% perfect, oh, my gosh, we may kill this child. And that's, yeah, that's, that's a terrible fear. And, and you know, parents in, at first don't sleep at night because they're afraid they didn't do something right. They didn't give them enough food. They didn't, you know, they, 
they weren't sure about the insulin. They, you know, there's all kinds of little nuances or their child had more exercise that day. So how is that working? And they're up all night. And, and you know, it takes a little while to have the experience to see how your child reacts to all these things and know where you can can let go and where you need to tighten up. Um, and, you know, in that that's a tough situation because that very much can drive, you know, parents to into overdrive, so to speak. <laughs> you know, they they are they're driving themselves crazy. They're exhausted. Um, they're never going to do it right. And um, I remember one of the physicians um, that I worked with for quite a long time, one of the endocrino- endocrinologists in the department, used to say, "You need to be a parent, not a pancreas. You know, it's not your job." to be, uh, you know, adjusting the blood sugars or making the decisions as to what the management needs to be. You need to listen to your health care providers and do the best you can and make decisions that a parent would make, in addition to, of course, providing the things that they have to, to have. But they <laughs> I love to, that. You know, that's a toughie. That really is that, that's right. very hard, and, and I think uh, anyone that's been through that can understand that. I, usually, I just usually just say up front, you're not going to be perfect at this. You're going you're gonna to learn from... Uh, the way things go, and you will continue to do better if you use that information to uh, to deal with that situation when it comes around again. So, so um, I think I think that's that's good advice. And and so let's talk about something that parents do have more control over, and that is a child going into daycare, or more specifically, a child going into school. So. What steps would you suggest parents take to help assimilate their child into the school situation? Uh, well, first of all, you know, there's big differences between state, different states and different school districts in the way things are handled. But generally speaking, I really encourage as much communication with the school as possible. And uh, some states will uh, do a better job of encouraging even a, uh, someone to be there in the school to assist with diabetes care um, than others. But communicating with the teachers and the, the principal and uh, discussing ch- children's needs um, and what they need to have, they need to have a care plan, um, I would meet so that all parties know what is on that care plan and what that means and how important it is that it be followed on a regular basis. Um, that can be a problem in many school districts, but uh, they need to know that, you know, that diabetes is considered a, a disability at the you know, federal level and under federal law, and uh, it's illegal for schools to discriminate Against a per, you know child because they have diabetes or um, or alter that care plan, it has to be followed. So, so, Jean, explain to us what is what is a care plan? Can you can you give me some specific examples of the kinds of things that would be included in a care plan? Oh, uh, sure. Well, one of the most obvious is what to do about gym. So prior to gym, uh, depending on what the part of the day it is, it might the child might need a snack. 
So if gym occurs after lunch, maybe they don't need a snack. Maybe they need a little more lunch uh, to cover whatever is going on in gym. Um, they probably will need a blood sugar before gym and maybe after gym. So there's, there's some nuances there about, you know, timing and parent preference and how they do it at home, uh, regret, you know, around exercise. But, but there are, you know, subtleties in the day about how these things should play out and who is going to do that and who's going to be responsible for it, uh, for overseeing it. Um, now there's some marvelous ways of communicating with parents if the school nurse doesn't know what kind of, what, how much insulin to give, let's say, prior to uh, lunch or prior to um, uh, going home on the school bus. Some kids get insulin mid-afternoon if they're high. Others don't, depending on what their, their insulin regimen is and, and how um, that's set up. And so, you know, there has to be communication. Um, I had one family that worked at, uh, on a, um, a Google app, uh, set up, set it up themselves so that the grandmother, where the kid got off the bus, um, the mother and the school teacher all had this app going constantly. And so they all knew what the blood sugars were all day and all night, so they could all follow it. Because when one person entered it, it communicated with the other, uh, other two people. That's so very... there are things like that that can be done um, that will facilitate communication and make it easier. I think that's interesting, Jean, because um, you talked about it, you know, kind of the obvious. But actually, I would not have thought about, um, you know, gym and, and needing snack before or after or when a child was eating um, um, during gym or recess or sometime in physical activity. So thank you. That type of information is really helpful to us. Thank you. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll be talking to Jean about handling diabetes with the dreaded teenagers and tips for avoiding (laughs) power struggles with your child over their care. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. 
Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We're talking with Jean Betchart-Roma about managing care of children who have diabetes. So, Jean, we're going to talk about the dreaded adolescents, okay? But let's talk about, well, look, they are toddlers, adolescents, you know. In in fact, all the T-shirts that say, we survived. You know, what can I say? So... um, you you had an interesting question that you posed um, in one of your books, and that is, and I want to ask it to you. So, what do you think teenagers with diabetes wish that their parents actually knew? I, my sense of most teenagers is a, is they have some sense of this struggle, but they really would like acknowledgement that their parents understand them uh, going through this. And I think parents are afraid sometimes um, to admit that they understand because they're, you know, they're, they're afraid if they say they're going to, that they understand this situation, it will give the child a little bit of permission to take off with it. And, and yet, they're trying to do the opposite. But I think the kid is, is just wishing somebody got what his issues were. And, um, you know, it could be about, you know, the difficulty of being the only one having to take insulin, the only one having to check blood sugars, the only one having to avoid eating lots of sugar or sweets or things like that, and limiting their diet, eating a well-balanced diet. Um, difficulties with social situations, having to carry the stuff around with them all the time. These things, these things are hard. And, um, and I think, you know, parents that just can acknowledge that, you know, say, you know what, this is, this is really hard for you, and I know it is, and how can we make it easier? And, and then the other thing that I think, I, 
I don't know if this is the right answer or not, but my sense of it is, and as a nurse practitioner, I have had success helping the kid, giving kids permission to solve their own problems. <laughs> and, you know, it's amazing how they can come up with solutions. They sit there with their um, body posture and their arms folded in front, and they don't want to hear what you have to say. But then if you say, do you have any idea how you could catch a blood sugar before you go to lunch? Um, and they say, no, they can't because there are meters in their locker and their locker is in a separate building or on another floor and, another, you know, they can't get to it and they refuse. So, you know, I had the, this happen with a young man one time and he sat there and he was totally obstinate. And I said, well, if you were me, how would you work it out? And he said, well, I would um, leave it in my sister's locker, which is right next to the cafeteria, and I could take it and go in the, men, in the boys' room <laughs> and, and do a blood sugar before I go to lunch. I mean, he already had a plan. He just wasn't sharing. <clears throat> but um, I think a lot of times they're, they're creative. They understand the situation maybe as well as anybody, and sometimes they have really good solutions to the problems that we can't help them with. I, actually, so, I think that's great advice for teenagers, period, um, and also our adult children is to just turn it back to them and ask them, you know, what they think, you know, how do they think the problem should be handled. I think that's that's really great advice. So let's talk about power struggles because ordinarily we have power struggles with adolescents who are trying to declare their independence and their separation, their separateness from us. But how do we avoid the power struggles over the diabetes? care. I mean, once again, I think that's scary for parents. That's not something you can compromise on. And, and yet, it may be the place where, you know, a teenager decides, you know, I'm not going to be so cooperative anymore just to declare their independence. I mean, how do you avoid those power struggles? I, I don't know if there's any avoiding it completely, really. I mean, because it seems to be part of the developmental phase, which... I have understood recently that many developmental um, professionals think that adolescence goes on to about 40. <laughs> yeah, I might but, agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but there, is, there is something to your parenting style and how you do assist your, your child. I mean, you have to stay with them in the process. And my experience has been over the years is that it, it you know, by, by staying with it, even though your child doesn't want you to, um, they know that you're, you're there. They know that you're looking in their meter to see what their blood glucoses are or um, trying to keep them accountable and that you care enough to do this. And, and, and many parents who have avoided doing that because it's either difficult or that's not their parenting style, they want them to learn from experience, um, kind of facilitate the kid not doing anything at all. And so it's, it's really, you know, if you can stay involved in the care, you can ask your, your teen, you know, how they want you to be involved in their care. What can I do to help you? I'm here to help you. Um, you have to keep emphasizing how important it is, but this is part of what growing up is about. And, and I think that um, now there are many transition to care programs 
um, that are cropping up that actually are addressing this issue more than we have in the past. Um, just helping uh, teens, you know, get used to being on their own and considering things that they hadn't before and how they're going to manage things, how they're going to go to prom, how they're going to, uh, you know, be up all night in an all-nighter and, and, uh, and manage their diabetes and keep themselves out of uh, low or high blood glucoses, you know. That they, they don't want to be there either because that can be embarrassing. So, so. talking about developmental issues with teenagers. I mean, one of the things we know we we see during the teenage years normally, all right, um, is mood swings. I mean, those hormones are moving them up and down and up and down. Um, And so, ordinarily, we would anticipate um, mood swings. I mean, how do you deal with mood swings in an adolescent with, with diabetes? Because as a parent, I'd be concerned that the mood swing was a symptom of either low or high blood sugar, and I don't actually I don't know which, but but one of those. So so how do you handle mood swings? I you know I think most mood swings are going to be any different than any you know what you term. I mean you know your child, you know you know your teen, and and you probably are going to know when they're not acting normally. Um, so I would, you know, that, that's a, that's an interesting question because they're just not going to, they're going to be, mood swings are going to be there. They're not going to go away. And, you know, if you think, if you have any question that it could be related to a diabetes issue, then I would, um, I would, here, here's a story from my past. Okay. One time, and I had three kids that were 13 months apart. And um, one time in the middle of yelling at them for some reason, they all stood there and looked at me and said, are you low, Mom? (laughs) 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 And I had to stop mid-sentence in the middle of my tirade, and I (laughs) checked my blood sugar. And then then I said, no, I'm not low, so you deserve to be yelled at. So I mean, I think it's that kind of a thing where um, you know, you know, you know, you you know when your child is not acting normally, and and they should go check. <laughs> you know, but otherwise, um, it's going to be the same as as any other um, teen that's going to have mood swings, and there's really not a lot you can do with with that. Actually, I had one. Um, I, I had one. Well, this is actually more of the power struggle question you just asked me, but. Um, there was a pediatrician who was having a terrible time with his daughter, and, uh, and it, they were fighting over something like curfews, and he um, decided to move the uh, issue. So instead of fighting over curfews, he said nothing about curfews and moved the issue to make up and said she couldn't have eye makeup, and she, they had a terrible row over eye makeup, but the the um, the problem solved itself over curfews. <laughs> so, so, and I've suggested that to some parents with diabetes that are fighting about diabetes all the time. Move it to something else. Move what you're fighting about. You're going to fight about something um, because that's natural. And um, and so, whatever your issue is, you know, um, try to move it to a different issue and see if it lightens up on the diabetes. It might improve. 
I like this. It's like, I'm not going to argue with you anymore about this. So now let's argue about something else. <laughs> but I guess, I guess you're right. It could actually work. Jean, you've been a great guest. Do you have any uh, final comments for us or something you'd like to share with us? No, I don't think so. Parenting a child with diabetes is inordinately frustrating at times. Um, share the load. Um, if it's a two-parent uh, household, both should share the load in the, the diabetes care. And, um, and solicit as much support and help you, as you can because you, you need it as a parent. Thank you so much. We've been talking to Jean Betchart-Roma, and her books are Diabetes Care for Babies, Toddlers, and Preschoolers and Guide to Raising a Child with Diabetes. Jean, how do we get in touch with you? We know how to order well, your books. I have a website, um, www.learningdiabetes.com. Again, Great. it's www.learningdiabetes.com. Great. And I Thank- have a variety of books on there for um, workbooks and uh, all ages, children, babies, toddlers, and preschoolers. Well, the, the book is actually for parents. Um, one called, it's a DVD called A Magic Ride in Foosball Land, an inside look at diabetes. One for type 2 diabetes, teens with diabetes. Um, one for, printed um, by the American Diabetes Association called Guide to Raising a Child with Diabetes. And um, a couple other incidental things. Jean, thank you so much. We've really enjoyed having you, and you've you've given us great advice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. When we return, we'll be discussing getting organized with diabetes. How do you stay organized? Handling diabetes at work, handling diabetes while traveling, and tackling the holiday madness. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. How's your husband now that he can't quite take care of himself? Or how's your wife now that getting around isn't as easy as it used to be? You'd know if your spouse was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities, a full day of customized activities and their home by dinner and nursing care that's right there with them. How's your spouse? Just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Try it for free. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. 
Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. In the first part of the show, we discussed issues in caring for a young child with diabetes from infancy through adolescence. Yes, we talk, remember, about the dreaded adolescence. So now we're going to continue discussing the management of diabetes through the lifespan, and we have invited Susan Weiner to join us for this discussion. Susan earned her master's degree in applied physiology and nutrition from Columbia University. She was named the 2015 ADE, Diabetes Educator of the Year, and is the recipient of the 2016 Dare to Dream Award from the Diabetes Research Institute. She has a column, Diabetes in Real Life. It's a featured monthly column in Endocrine Today, and she is the co-author of The Complete Diabetes Organizer, Your Guide to a Less Stressful and More Manageable Diabetes Life, and also Diabetes 365 Tips for Living Well. She's on the advisory board of a very interesting organization. It's a not-for-profit that explores the human and emotional side of diabetes using theater and performance art. And she's also a lecturer for organizations such as the American College of Sports Medicine and was the official sports nutritionist for the American Diabetes Association Walk America program. And actually, I have only read just a quarter of what this woman has accomplished. So welcome to the show, Susan. We're so pleased to have you. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm really excited to get into our discussion tonight. Okay, let's go. So we've talked about teenagers. Let's talk about older adolescents and young adults who either are at college or they've moved out and they're working. Whatever the situation is, they're not at home. And so as a parent, you no longer have daily contact with them. So how do you continue to discuss and maybe perhaps even monitor their diabetic care with them? You know, especially when they want to feel independent, they want their own space, it's my life. How do, how do you handle that? And it's so different with each kid because each child is, is different than another child. So even if you've had a child go off to college who did not have diabetes, you may have been comfortable in that situation. But if a child goes off to college and has diabetes, man, that's a whole different issue, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. there's so many new things that go on as a freshman in college and so much you have to deal with. So I'm just going to take a step back and kind of talk about two different situations and what I suggest for parents to work with. One is a child that may have been diagnosed with diabetes at a young age. So they may have been diagnosed with diabetes maybe at four, five, six years old. 
And that child has been in the diabetes world and is familiar with testing their blood sugar and taking their medications, insulin as prescribed, etc., which can, of course, as, as your last guest was talking about so eloquently, change completely when you go into adolescence. But if you have a child that is diagnosed right before they go to college, 15, 16, 17 years old, that's, that's a different story as well because they are kind of new to the diabetes world. So I think the situations can be kind of different, and every parent has to assess if that child is, in fact, ready to go away with a new diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. Um, and does that make sense? Because it's yeah, a completely so, different situation. Yeah, but I want to make sure I really understand what you're saying, Susan. So right. if you have um, a, a young person with a new diagnosis of diabetes, are you recommending, for instance, you might delay their going to college? You might recommend they take, you know, a year off before starting? I think it depends completely on the individual child. A younger child who is diagnosed, let's say it's six, seven years old, may have had the experience of being away in a diabetes camp, for example, where they had been on their own or away from the house with diabetes. Definitely somebody who was diagnosed a little later at 15, 16, 17, Certainly there are many people who show that they can go away, but you have to be really certain that they are set up when they go to college to understand exactly what they need to do. I just think that it's a really a situation that has to be in check before they leave because there's so much to take on when you go away to school. You have to know about that as well. And one thing that I talk to students about that go to college and those who are newly diagnosed or those who have been diagnosed when they were a little younger, they all tell me that it's so important to get comfortable and to let other people know for support that you have, that you have diabetes. For example, speaking with their roommates or RAs, resident advisors about it, but also talking to their college professors about it because you may need to have some accommodations um, through the American with Disabilities Act. You can go through that as well or the health system at the school because there may be times when you need to eat, for example, during class. You may need to test your blood sugar at certain times. You can't just keep it all to yourself. You need to be at the point well, you will share this with other people during the college experience. A lot to consider, so much to consider. So, Susan, let's talk about a very common issue with young people going off to college, and, and obviously that is drinking, mm-hmm. um, which creates specific problems for young people with diabetes. I mean, but they want to fit in. They want to be part of the party. That's part of being able to get away from home. I mean, what advice do you give these young people? So many of the people that I work with with type 1 diabetes who are so intelligent and know their bodies extremely well, a lot gets thrown out of the window when you're a teenager, but if there is on the table going away to college and having to be trusted, they do listen. Um, As we know, alcohol, which is processed by the liver, is viewed by the body as a toxin, so when the liver is busy processing the alcohol, um, it does wreak havoc on the use of insulin, and it can drop the blood sugar dangerously low if you're not careful. And what happens, obviously, if you drink and if you do get 
a little bit intoxicated, you're not as on top of your diabetes self-care management as you would be, um, normally as you would be. So I actually have a really frank discussion, and when I have somebody who's a teenager and going off to college or living on their own come to my office, and often they come with a parent, I do oftentimes get asked by the teenager or the college student if they can talk to me separately without the parent in the room. And they'll be really honest with me, and we can include the parent afterwards if they're comfortable, but we really talk frankly about what alcohol can do and how it can end their college career and their life, even worse than that. So they have to be responsible enough to know all of those circumstances. As a parent, it's extremely scary, um, and it does require a lot of frank talk with your child, and it also requires you to speak with them on what to do in terms of letting somebody know that you have diabetes if you do go out to a party or if you are going to consume alcohol and to tell someone that you have diabetes and maybe have a buddy system so that somebody also can take care of you. Um, I also, and monitor you and talk to you during the time that you're out at the party, it's also so important to join one of those great diabetes networks when you're in college, like the College Diabetes Network. Um, That website is collegediabetesnetwork.org or studentswithdiabetes.com is a fabulous organization. And so many colleges also have support systems and organizations within the college campuses that you can go to and speak about these things and buddy up with people and just be really responsible. You know, Susan, I, uh, you brought up a very good point, and that is of letting people around you um, know that you have diabetes and, and that it's fine and that they need to know. But let's bring it to someone who's a little older. They've graduated now. They've now entered the workplace or someone who's middle-aged who now has developed, let's say, type 2 diabetes, and they're in the workplace. I mean, would you give the same advice that and we, we have a few minutes just before the break to answer this about, you know, letting people know within the workplace um, that you have diabetes. I think people who are employed are really concerned, especially in this age of emphasis on health and wellness from corporations. Such a fantastic question and, and such a great point. And I deal with people who have type 1 diabetes who have this issue in the workplace as well as people with type 2 diabetes who are on insulin and even on insulin pumps and have the same concerns about having a low blood sugar reaction at work. Um, And we talk really frankly about this, and there's a couple of pieces of advice. I always tell them to find, it doesn't have to be your boss, just a trusted coworker who knows that you have diabetes, can recognize the signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia, someone who could help you with your schedule in case you need to test your blood sugar, take insulin, correct, or eat before a meeting or a phone call, or someone during a meeting who could recognize if you have a low. And it's very importantly at work to keep fast-acting sources of carbohydrate someplace where you can get to them. But if you have a low blood sugar and can't make a good decision, where your coworker will need to reach for it, like glucose tablets or juice or whatever would bring up your blood sugar. 
but I don't think I've come under a circumstance where, I, where I've spoken to someone where they can't find someone at work that they can alert to that circumstance that they trust um, because otherwise, wow, that's a big burden to carry during the day if, if you have that all on, on your shoulders in case of a low blood sugar. And we can talk maybe after the break more about getting organized at work to help to prevent some of those issues. We do want to talk about um, getting organized at work, um, and we also want to talk, when you come back, I want to talk to you about fashion. I just love that Great. part in your book. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so when we, when we, after the break, when we come back, we are going to ask Susan a fashion question about fashion and, and diabetes, and a little bit about staying organized at work, and I really, really want to talk to her um, about uh, traveling uh, when you have diabetes. It, it's going to be great so stay with us your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We're here with Susan Weiner, who's the co-author of The Complete Diabetes Organizer, your guide to a less stressful, a more manageable diabetes life. And we are getting great advice and having a heck of a good time at the same time. So, Susan, before the break, we were talking about the workplace. So how do you suggest people stay organized with their diabetes uh, care within the workplace? So staying organized during the day starts the night before. The morning minutes before you go to work when you have diabetes are so precious. There's so much to do in the morning and that you have to remember when you're off for the day at work. It's really great to get as much done as you can the night before when even though you might be tired and there are things to do, of course, in the evening, you generally have a little bit more time to get things ready. So make a checklist. I'm all about checklists because when you write things down, it takes the remembering out of remembering. Write everything down on your checklist, and that way you can use your brain for thinking and your checklist for remembering. Write down everything you need to bring to work the next day. Pack up your diabetes supply bag the night before. Leave it by wherever you're going to exit the home in the morning. I like to call that the launching pad because you could just grab it in the morning. Um, and, and in the refrigerator, you can keep your pre-packed lunch and snacks and whatever else you need for the next day. And I also suggest to keep the workplace very organized, to absolutely keep a separate meter and all your testing supplies and always check the expiration dates at work so that you don't forget to keep your, bring your diabetes supplies from home to work. You have complete sets in both places. Really, really helpful. So let's talk about bringing those supplies uh, with you. I mean, what do I bring them in? I bring them in a plastic bag. I mean, what am I bringing them in? Everybody has their own tools and strategies, but I have to tell the story of one of my dear friends who has type 1 diabetes, and her name is Kara Richards. Um, She is a beautiful model and dancer and um, developed type 1 diabetes when she was actually performing overseas and didn't know it till she came home. And being the fashionista that she is, she didn't like to carry around her diabetes supplies in plastic bags and things like that. So she actually developed her own, um, I'm not going to, you know, plug different companies, but her own fashion supplies of diabetes-related products that took off. And many other companies have done the same. So as long as you use a supply bag that's comfortable for you, oh, my goodness, there are the best fashion accessory bags out there for diabetes. There are patches for your pods and your pumps that you can carry. I met this other woman when I was speaking in Ohio last year. Her name is Janet Goodman, and she developed type 1 diabetes, actually LADA, late autoimmune um, diabetes, at 61. And she's, she's also a psychologist. And she was like, how do I carry my pocketbook now? And she developed her own bag for diabetes, and I love this name. It's called the Yada Bag. Remember on Seinfeld, <laughs> yada, yada, yada? Because diabetes yeah. goes on, yada, yada, yada. So Janet developed a Yada Bag. So there are so many fashion accessorized bags now for diabetes. As long as it has the, they're all compartmentalized for what you need. But also, if you find a bag that has zippered compartments, and vertical space, by that I mean you can find things that are not just layered on top of each other. 
I think you're good to go with whatever works for you. But there's a lot of great fashion accessorized diabetes supplies out there now. Great stuff. Susan, I never thought we'd be talking about diabetes and talking about fashion tips. I I think this is great. Yes. (laughs) So let's talk about travel because I, for instance, have a family member who for a long time just absolutely refused to travel um, because he was concerned about managing his diabetes as they move through different time zones and being in planes and airports. So how do you prepare for travel? And because diabetes is with you, and it sounds obvious, but it's true, 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, because you're going on holiday, vacation, a business trip, the diabetes does not stay home. It comes with you. So the planning starts before the trip. And and you mentioned um, time zones. I recommend strongly that if you're traveling over two time zones, that you visit with your uh, healthcare provider, doctor, endocrinologist at least six weeks before your trip so that you can start to adjust your insulin, whether you're on a pump or multiple daily injections. It makes things a heck of a lot easier. Um, I would also strongly suggest that people take two to three times the amount of medications and supplies with them that you need. You don't know if you're going to be delayed. You don't know if something's going to happen when you, when you go away. It's very important to do that. But one of my favorite travel tips is that you need to keep your supplies within arm's reach when you travel because how many people do you know that they put their medication in their luggage, which is checked, or even on a, on a plane in the overhead bin where you can't get to it during flight, especially if it's a turbulent flight, and you're less likely to manage your diabetes if it's not within your reach. Like you're not going to get your testing supplies if it's inconvenient to get it. So planning ahead and also food-wise, kind of know where you're traveling and scope out what's available to you there so that you're at least aware of how you're going to manage your diabetes when you're not home. Susan, we have just a few more minutes. So do you have any great apps that you want to share with us? Um, There are a number of apps available for the iPhone and for the Android phone for for both that are very good, and they're actually changing every day. Some of the great, and and I'll just go from the diabetes and the organizing standpoint, there are really great organizing apps that are out there and calendar apps. I actually like WatchMinder. That's not a diabetes app, but WatchMinder so that people can um, really stay on top of their, their time and take the remembering out of remembering. As I said, I like Kate for looking up what is actually in food. Um, and there are also a number of other restaurant apps available through the American Diabetes Association. Um, and there's, there's a, a lot of them out there. I also have a bunch of them listed in my book as well, both for food shopping um, and for medical paperwork. Um, and what are some of the other ones that I like? Um, this is, this, there's a lot of different ones out there. If you also go on the, the DLife site, DLife.com, they also have a listing of the most common diabetes apps, and they have them ranked uh, as the ones that are best out there. In terms of weight management apps, 
some of them I actually don't love for people with diabetes who are constantly monitoring their, their numbers because it, they're kind of judgmental to people with diabetes. Just too much information comes out of there. So the weight loss apps I don't love so much. Regular record-keeping app, apps or like even a spreadsheet or regular Google um, spreadsheets are fine to use to log your information. Susan, thank you so much. I mean, we're just going to have to have you back because you're, you're, you're just, you just have great, great tips. Um, any contact information, website, blog that you'd like to tell us about? Yes, I would love to hear from, from everybody. My um, website is www.susanweinernutrition.com. That's SusanWienerNutrition.com, and I actually have a blog on my wealth, my website called HealthyBites, B-Y-T-E-S.com. Today I wrote a blog on diabetes burnout and how to handle that. So reach out to me at any time. Great. Thank you so much, Susan, for joining us today on Caught Between Generations. So my takeaway for you today is put yourself on the to-do list. So one of the primary reasons that we don't accomplish even daily goals is because we always put our own needs on the back burner. Now, you've heard me talk about this a lot. So why am I talking about it again? Because we've been talking about children being organized, young adults being organized, and making the management of their diabetes a priority. In order to do this, they've got to put themselves at the top of the to-do list. How do you fit into this? You need to be the role model. If you always put all of your own needs, especially your own health and wellness needs on the back burner, you're always talking about how you don't have time to take care of yourself, then think about it for a minute. What are you actually teaching? What are you actually modeling? Our children watch and listen to us very, very carefully. So this is Dr. Merrill asking you to actually schedule time to accomplish important tasks associated with your life goals. Go ahead, do it now. Just block out your calendar, block out some time. It's important for you and it's important for the people around you. Thank you so much for listening. Please write to me. I just love your emails. I really do. And I love the information you share with me on Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.